you have a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 6 through 9 this morning. As you're opening up there, let me just say what a beautiful uh, morning of worship this has been. And uh, isn't it good? Isn't it good to believe the gospel? Um, isn't it good to believe those words are true? I do, and I hope you do too. If you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's pray. O oh God, as we sing, as we hear, about Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Would you fix this truth in our hearts that there is no other gospel in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to be uh, as careful as possible as I was thinking through how to communicate this to you. And... Uh, I, I, as I was writing my opening sentence for my sermon, I said daily and I had to mark it out and I, or delete it. And then, you know, maybe weekly, no, delete it. Monthly, that's probably fair. Almost monthly. And sometimes it feels like it's even more often. I hear of a well-known figure and sometimes even a friend or acquaintance. I, all my education has been education for ministry. Went to Baptist College and studied theology there, and then I went to seminary. And so I've met a lot of folks along the way who are believers and who at least think they might want to be in ministry. So I just know a lot of Christians, a lot of, a lot of Baptists, in fact. And almost monthly, somebody, I hear the story that they've abandoned the faith. Now, all of you here have heard stories about the way that folks have sinned and and falling out of ministry and those sorts of things, but that's not what I'm talking about. I get those too. I'm talking about people who have abandoned the faith, who one day thought they were walking with Jesus, and then someday down the line they woke up one day and realized they couldn't call themselves a Christian anymore. There, there are movements out there right now, communities that are sort of forming around being former evangelicals. You might have heard the term ex-evangelicals. Um, you might have heard this term, 
deconstruction where people are trying to evaluate their faith and light of faith today and some of the things that have happened in the world and in church communities and in their own lives have and then the, the, the acids of modernity or whatever else have creeped in and they've lost their faith and they're trying to deconstruct whatever their evangelical upbringing was. They've moved on. Now, I don't, I don't think everything that we've done as churches uh, is worth saving. You know, uh, we've made mistakes. The, the Christ church has made huge mistakes. There's no question. Um, evangelical culture is a mess. It's just a mess. So I understand why somebody might want to get out of that. And I can understand why somebody might want to take the Bible. I've done this. I hope you've done this. And say, okay, what have I been told and what's actually in the Scriptures? I hope we'll break down things man's made up. Uh, the, The way's narrow enough without us putting up our own barriers. But these are two overlapping movements, though, that describe people who are leaving or radically deconstructing their faith. I don't mean just critiquing the culture they grew up in or whatever else. You know, we all do that at some level. I'm, I'm talking about people who are leaving Jesus behind. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to confess something to all of you here today. Sometime in the last 10 years, 15 years of my life, I don't know when it was, but at some point it quit surprising me. Um... Somewhere along the way, I just quit being shocked. I I quit being astonished when people would leave Jesus behind. And maybe that's the way you feel too. With the world the way it is, (laughs) the messes around us, when you see some of the things and the news stories that come out about Christ's church, one place some of us feel safe and loved when we hear that there's an underbelly to the church. Some of us feel like it's a foregone conclusion that people will leave the faith. Not only is it not surprising anymore, but it's expected. Maybe some of us are surprised when people do stay Christian, when people do seem to be growing in faithfulness. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're less cynical than I am or less jaded than I am, but sometimes it feels that way. But I, I want you to feel the weight of what Paul's saying to what we I believe, are very young Christians, a very young church in Galatia. I, I, I hold the idea that these, this letter was probably written to the church in southern Galatia, the area Timothy was from. Paul, on his first missionary journey, went through the region, and then he went back out the way he came. And based on some of the letters Paul wrote, somebody might have even told him that. Why don't you just go right back out the way you came? But he did. That's what he did. And then sometime, I think, between when he got back to Antioch and then the Jerusalem Council, I believe it's in Acts chapter 15, I think Paul wrote this letter back to the Galatians, having heard that the circumcision party had infiltrated the church. If you read the book of Titus, you can see the way that geographically this error was widespread. Titus was a pastor in Crete, pretty good ways from southern Galatia. And even there, Paul talks to Titus about sharply rebuking the circumcision party. It's a young church. It's not an established church. It's not like our church has been here 
since 1855. It wasn't 160 something years old. It wasn't uh, the most well-known church. It was pretty much a group of people who used to be pagans who had been called together. Some certainly former Jews, but by and large people who didn't know the Lord before and who came to Jesus and came to faith. And Paul's writing them. And what is he saying about them? I'm astonished that you would so quickly abandon the gospel. Well, you know what we would say. Oh, well, they were young. They were new converts. I'm not that surprised. Lots of people. No, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Why is he shocked? I had to answer that question this week. Why is Paul astonished and I'm not Maybe, maybe I had lost a sense of wonder at how good the good news really is. Maybe I had lost a sense. I'm so busy trying to think about how to defend the faith in a modern age. I'm missing the reality that it's such good news for people who so desperately need good news. I know I do. He's astonished because the gospel is so wonderful and so glorious. This, this morning, I want to show you three truths that should be shocking. I hope you'll be jolted. I hope you'll be jolted by the beauty and wonder and glory of the gospel today. I want to show you three truths as Paul uh, addresses these Galatian churches. I want to see you, you to see what he's trying to get them to see so that you will be astonished by the fact that someone else might reject the gospel. And in so doing, it's going to make you, I believe, want to cling to the gospel all the more. I want to give you something to hold on to this week. Good news. Good news. The gospel. Three truths this morning. Here's the first. The gospel is astonishingly good news because the gospel is how God calls by grace. The, the gospel is how God calls by grace. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. I've yet to meet a heretic that doesn't believe in God. And I've yet to find a heresy that didn't at least try to say I'm speaking better for God than for someone else. I've never found an error that didn't claim to be correcting some other error. That's how we get in messes oftentimes. It's through over-correction. And perhaps, as we see in the Scriptures, there was a need. When we read the book of James, I'm sure there was a need in the churches of the Lord Jesus and the earliest days to make sure people knew that there are objective realities of holiness that Christian people must live by. James beautifully by the Spirit gives a helpful balance to Paul. I don't think they disagreed. I think they balanced one another out. And yet there are some who are coming here and troubling the Galatian churches and what it seems like they're probably saying is sure, you know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but if you really want to know God, here are some things you need to do. Don't you know? Don't you know that God's chosen people forever and ever since God's had a chosen people, don't you know that they live by certain aspects of the law, including, Scripture says, circumcision? 
They claim to have an avenue to God, it seems, as we read Galatians, that Paul didn't have. Perhaps that's beyond the gospel. And so you notice how brilliant Paul is as he addresses this. He doesn't begin by saying, you're turning to a different gospel. He begins by saying, you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You are leaving God. These people tell you you're knowing God better, but you're not. You're actually abandoning God for another God who did not call you by grace through Jesus Christ. There is no other God. Besides that God. Any other God doesn't exist. Why would you desert God, Paul's saying? Why would you abandon God? There's no deeper, there's no better. There's no, this isn't Disney World where you can go and if you know enough or if Gina helps you out before you go, that you can know about the fast pass and have the fast pass and leave all these other uh, rookies behind. And here I'm going to, no, there's no, so, there's no other way to know God, to gain access to God. Than by the gospel. That's it. It's the only way to know Him. There's not the free gospel that everybody gets and then the paid subscription that some people get. When you leave the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified, raised from the dead, the free offer of forgiveness through His shed blood, by grace through faith, when you lose that, you lose God. You miss out on God. There's no other good news. But there's something else you have to know. There's something else you have to know. You might think you want another way besides the gospel because I I think we all have to recognize deep down in our hearts we want something a little more special. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by the cross. You know why? Because I want to be able to tell people how good I am. You know? I want to be able to say, you know, let me tell you how I found God. It's real special. You know how I found God? The same way you found God. I got to the end of the rope of my righteousness and realized there was nothing between me and a Christless eternity. And unless I grabbed the hand of the Lord Jesus by faith, I had no other hope. That's it. My sin gets me nowhere. Your sin gets you nowhere. And your greatest righteousness that you can muster, the Bible says, is as filthy rags before a holy God. But our God of love has condescended to us through the gospel of His Son. And He offers to you grace when you so desperately need it. When you're at the end of your rope. When you realize there's no gas left in the righteousness tank. He offers you grace. I want you to know as you try to abandon the Lord, as you try to find something besides the gospel, I can tell you, you'll find grace nowhere else. You'll find grace nowhere else. One famous person who's recently shared that they've abandoned the faith is starting to see, I've seen some trends of where he'll do something or say something, and it's not just Christians who are criticizing what he's saying, it's his fellow deconstructors. Because there are gatekeepers even out there. You know, people, people understandably, I suppose, get frustrated with the guardrails that the Lord's given in the church. We feel judged or mad because folks won't just say, yeah, go do whatever you want. But you think that's going to happen in the world? There's, there's no grace out there. There's no grace out there. I promise you, if, if you think there's a problem here, there's a problem there too. 
Not to say we're going to ignore whatever problems there are in the church. Let's, let's deal with them. Let's fix them. By God's grace, let's do it. But I, I can promise you there's no grace out there. there there's no one who's going to love you no matter what. There's something you can do. You know, there's something you can do to make me mad and, and make me just think, I'm done with this person. I'm sure. I like to think I love you all, but I'm not God. There's something that you can do out in the world, isn't there? Y'all have seen it. On, y'all have seen people get canceled and folks lose their jobs over something they've said or done. You can displease the world. Everybody acts like there's nothing but freedom out there, but I promise you it's just another form of slavery. There's only one place you're going to find grace, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you're off with the old Christian laws, I promise you, you'll find a new set out there. There's no church in the wild. There, there is no grace out there. It's only through Jesus that you can find grace. Unconditional love, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've acted, Jesus loves you. And second of all, the gospel comes with God's authority. The gospel is how God calls by grace. If you want to know God, you can only know Him by grace, and you can only know His grace through the gospel. And second of all, the gospel comes with the very authority of God. How, how do you know God believes the gospel? <laughs> how do you know that? Because He raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. He proved this is His plan by acting in history before witnesses, people who gave us this word, saw the risen Lord Jesus. And buddy, I can tell you this, if I had not seen the resurrected Lord, I can tell you this, once they decided they were going to crucify me for believing in the resurrected Lord, it wouldn't take three nails before I gave it up. I, I, I think as soon as I felt the metal on my wrist, I'm done. Y'all can have it. I'll be a fisherman. That's not what they did. They preached the gospel. Don't you see what Paul's saying in verse 7? Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. To depart from the gospel, he says in verse 6, is to depart from God. Verse 7, there is no other gospel. There is only the one true gospel. Who cares what man says? We only care what God says. And Paul goes as far as to say, if I contradict myself in this, if an angel from heaven came and preached to you a gospel other than the one that was delivered to you when we traveled through your area, when you came to know Jesus by grace through faith, if there is another gospel that you hear preached, let them be accursed, he says. Reject that gospel. This is because the good news is, is from God Himself. People are troubled by the gospel. But I want you to know something. This book right here, if you take the good news of Jesus Christ out of this book, if you take the grace of God out of this book, this book is a horrifying, troubling book because all it has to say to you is do better. All it has to say with you 
to you without the gospel is do what you can to pull yourself up by your bootstraps so that maybe one day when you meet a holy and righteous God, you'll have done enough by the law to be commended. I wouldn't preach it. I wouldn't dare preach this book without the Bible. I wouldn't dare yoke and burden you with something you could never bear. But my brothers and sisters, this book is wonderful and glorious. It's like honey straight out of the comb precisely because the gospel is in it. Just be a better person is miserable without the gospel. The glory and majesty and grandeur and greatness of God is crushing without the gospel. The idea that God is love is abstract and unreachable without the gospel. No doctrine of the Bible is sweet or helpful for you, O child of God, unless you've been made His child by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stick with the gospel. Don't let go of the good news. Don't lose sight of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't think that there are ways that God speaks and things that God says that are trustworthy and true if they're attempts to bypass the good news of the gospel. There is only one way that you can know God, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stick with the gospel because it comes with the very authority of God. Don't go out and chase after idle myths and fables and strange things and other ways to know God. And right, sure, the grace is pretty and all, but you need to go deeper. You need to go here. You need to go there. My friends, I promise you, you will never plumb the depths of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to go deeper? He is deeper still through the gospel. There's only one. There's no other. Finally, Why else is it astonishing good news? Because the gospel delivers us from the curse. The gospel delivers us from the curse of sin. Some people would think Paul's being an extremist here. Listen to what he says. He says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul's pronouncing a curse on anyone, including himself, who would ever ever preach another gospel but this one. I want you to understand, some of you might say, my goodness, Paul. He's so rude to to curse someone. No, 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 no. No, you need to be angrier than that. You need to be more offended than that by what he's saying here. Here, Paul's using a word you might have heard before. It's the word anathema. And, and, And that word literally means an eternal cursing. Do you see what he's saying? If anyone, even an angel, if anyone comes to you, myself including included, and they come and preach to you another gospel, they are worthy of hell, of eternal wrath and punishment. Why are the stakes so high? Is Paul just being an extremist? 
Is he that angry at his opponents who are contradicting him that he's willing to just cast down these horrible curses on them because he doesn't like to be contradicted? No, he's including himself. Why are the stakes so high in what gospel we, we preach? It's because the stakes are so high in the gospel itself. Eternity is at stake. Don't you see? Don't you see that only the gospel can deliver us from the curse? You see, the only hope we have as we look around a world that's in turmoil because of the curse of sin, because we recognize we live in a Genesis 3 fallen, sinful world, everywhere we turn, we are oppressed, as the Scripture says. We're oppressed by the reality of sin, nearly crushed. Here in this direction, sickness, in this direction, great weather event. In that direction, great political strife and turmoil. Everywhere we turn, everywhere we turn, we can see the realities of the curse that God placed on the world because of sin. But I came here to tell you good news. I hope you look here for good news. I hope you look here to know that the Bible says that He bore our sins in His body on the tree. I hope you see that the Bible says that He became the curse for us. That all that that you deserve, a hurricane of the wrath of God to fall on your head because of your sin, you deserve it. And it touched down in the chest of His perfectly pure son at the cross he became the curse for you and that's why paul would say you should be accursed if you would preach another gospel because it's only the gospel of jesus christ that can deliver you from the wrath of god forever that's it it's our only hope do you see what i'm actually preaching some of you might say these baptists these hellfire and brimstone baptists I didn't come here today to preach wrath to you. I didn't come here today to preach hell to you. It's real. I came here to tell you today that Jesus tasted hell so you don't have to. That the Lord Jesus took the wrath of God so that you don't have to. I came here today to preach good news to you because Jesus was cursed for you. You don't have to live under the curse of sin anymore, though you may still have ramifications as you live in a sinful world. Your hope springs eternal. It should be astonishing for us to think of letting go of the gospel because the gospel is our only hope in life and death. Every Sunday I have to get up and ask myself the question, why should I preach today? I won't, I won't come say something to you that I don't believe is true, that's not in the Word. I won't come say something to you that's not the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you while I ask that question every Sunday, on a Sunday like this, I ask it more than I ever, ever have or ever will. Do I have something to say to these people? When Whitney and I were in seminary, you know what they told us? One, one person said to us one time, they said, when you're in ministry, you don't choose your favorites. 
your favorites choose you. And this morning, I woke up and learned that someone who chose us slipped into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And I had to sit and pray and look at the little words I'd typed out on a little document and say, why why should I preach today? Do I have something to say to people that feel the way I feel today? Brothers and sisters, I do. I do have something to say. Not because of me, not because of what I know, what I've learned, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. I believe we have hope on our worst days, on the coldest mornings of this life, on the days when we wonder why it's even worth getting out of bed, I want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for sinners who one day will go to meet their God. I want you to know that you can step before the throne of an almighty God and you can look Him in the face. Though you are a desperate and wicked sinner, you can look Him in the face and be welcomed home as a child because Jesus died for your sins. He is our only hope in life and death. And one day, by God's grace, I will stand there down at the cemetery or somewhere over your body and I promise you I'll have something to say then and what I will declare then not only to those present not only to myself and not only to powers and principalities who think they got another one I will declare then and there Jesus Christ is Lord even over bodies in the ground and one day every body that belongs to him will be raised in power and in glory And the day that I don't believe that, and the day I don't preach that, let me be accursed. I'll hang it up. I'll take it to the house. And I'll never submit you to another speech again for the rest of my days. But until then, and I don't think that day will ever come, I will preach to you this gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Would you trust Him today? Would you believe Him today? You can by faith. After this prayer, I want you to respond to the Lord. Let's pray together.